Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. You are all in for a huge treat today. I have Bruce H. Lipton, PhD, an international recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. Stem cell biologist, best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. He has been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as a keynote presenter for national and international conferences. Dr. Lipton's work summarizing his findings entitled The New Updated 10th Anniversary Edition of The Biology of Belief, his second book, Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here, and his third book, The Honeymoon Effect, The Science of Creating Heaven on Earth, are all available now on Hay House. Welcome, Dr. Lipton, to the show. Amy, Dr. Robbins, I am so happy to be here with you, but more importantly, I'm so happy to be here with your audience. Hi, I've been much more purposeful this year about trying to curate content that goes together. And in February, and maybe bleeding into March a little bit, we're going to be talking about healing. So spontaneous healing, epigenetics, some African healing rituals, and just different ways to think about how you heal. So if you haven't subscribed to my podcast yet, please do so. You can just subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, you can sign up for my newsletter and course, my program that's coming up, both of those you can do on my website at dramyrobbins.com. And don't forget to follow me on social on Instagram, also at Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from you all, hearing how the podcast is opening you up, helping you shift and change your thoughts about things and your life. So check me out in any of those places. And here is today's podcast. Because uh, the people that are going to be observing this are, by definition, are cultural creatives, people that are seeking answers outside of the box. And it's really relevant because inside the box, there's so much chaos and, uh, and upheaval going on that there are no answers in there. The answers are where we are right here, Amy. Well, and this is such a treat for me. I've been following your work for years. I I actually went back to my bookshelf to pull out your book, looked through all my underlines, read it again. I, I'm a little nervous, but we talked before, so you're like amazing. So <laughs> let's so let's get into for people who don't know your work. What is the premise of it and why do you think people have so flocked to your work for so many years? Well, the conventional story that people have out there in the world about life is that uh, at the moment of conception, we receive genes from our mother and genes from our father, and they come into this uh, developing embryo. So uh, we are also told that the genes control the traits. And then we're also told that genes turn on and off by themselves. And I go, so let's put that picture back together. My life is controlled by genes. As far as I know, I didn't pick the ones I got. If I don't like the characters and traits that I'm expressing, I can't change those genes. And then I add on top of that, well, they turn on and off by themselves. And all of a sudden you realize, 
oh my God, I'm a victim of my heredity. Meaning, let's just say there's cancer running in my family. And then I go, oh my goodness, you know, I, I could get that gene. Then if I get that gene, then I'm going to get that cancer. And, and so we have led ourselves to believe that we are powerless in the unfolding of our lives and that these genes control us. Well, my research completely uh, <laughs> undid that entire story uh, back 53 years ago. Amy, you weren't even here yet. Uh, 53 <laughs> years ago, uh, I was doing a cloning stem cells. And stem cells, let me just briefly say, what is a stem cell? And the answer is first, recognize when you look in the mirror and see yourself as a, as a human being, living entity. And we say, oh, yeah, I'm an entity, a single entity. And I go, an illusion because you're actually made out of 50 trillion cells. I mean, if your eyes could have microscopic capabilities, then you could uh, look into your body and say, oh my goodness, there's this community of 50 trillion cells. Every cell is, not every cell, but virtually every cell is a sentient being. I, and this is what I mean. I take them out of your body, put a cell in a Petri dish. They grow without you. They can create a life without you in there. Cells are capable of all the things that we have. As a matter of fact, every character that we have digestion respiration excretion movement nerve action uh even you know reproduction and all that uh every cell has those those characters so in other words no matter how smart we think we are we came from cells and we express all the characteristics of these cells so if you understand how cells work then you understand how humans work because we're just a larger version of that cell. So we have 50 trillion cells in every second or every minute, I think, every minute we lose about three and a half million cells. So uh, uh, since the beginning of this little program, you, you, you know, you probably lost about 15 million cells. Right. Go, this is a natural turnover, lifespan and, and stuff like that. But I say, well, how many days can you live if every day you lose millions or actually every day we lose hundreds of billions of cells? And I go, well, how many days can you live if every day you're losing all these cells? The answer is not very long. But if you have replacement cells, embryonic replacement cells that can replace any of the cell types that have died, then cells can die and new cells come in. And guess what? Now get it's stabilized. So every day I wake up, it looks like me, but I've got, you know, hundreds of billions of new cells and hundreds of billions of cells that died, uh, and it's a turnover. So I say, well, what are the cells, the embryonic cells that replace the ones that we, you know, the ones that we uh, lose every day? Uh, and the answer is they're called stem cells. They're embryonic cells. Hmm. So my point is, what, what did I learn? Well, I'm teaching in the medical school and teaching in the schools about genes control life. So that's my lecture stuff. And that's based on the standard curriculum that has been carried since basically 1945, when DNA was discovered to be the hereditary material. That's how, that's how recent it was, in a sense. The uh, DNA really wasn't understood until 1945. And in 1953, uh, the picture of the double helix comes out with Watson and Crick. Uh, and in this moment, because I have a chance, uh, in regard to the Me Too movement, I just want people to recognize this, that they... Watson and Crick did not discover the DNA double helix. It was a woman who discovered it, Rosalind mm. Franklin. And, uh, and the old boys science club in those days, uh, her major mm. advisor gave her research to Watson and Crick without even her knowing about it. They then took her research before she had an opportunity to present it. They took her research and 
jumped on it and double helix DNA. So let's say the, the DNA story, Watson Crick and Rosalind Franklin. That's wow. it. She, she has to be brought back in because she is the one that, uh, through her research, discovered DNA double helix. Okay. So uh, uh, basically, uh, I was teaching that story that we talked about, genes control your life. Now I go back and say, but when I went in my laboratory, I put these embryonic cell in culture and I put one cell in a tissue dish and I go, this is called cloning. And the reason why it's called cloning is the cell divides every 10 hours. And so first there's one, then there's two, then there's four and it doubles, eight, 16, 32. At the end of the week, I've got 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. But the most important thing is this cloning is all those cells came from one parent. And that means what? That I have 30,000 genetically identical cells as they all just repeated what the parent cell was, okay? Mm -hmm. So they're genetically identical. I split those cells into three different Petri dishes. So in the end, all the dishes have genetically identical, the same cells in them. But I change what is called the culture medium. That's what we grow cells in. It's a fluid. And I go, what is culture medium? This is critical. We're gonna come right back to this. Culture medium is the laboratory version of blood. So if I grow human cells, I look at what is human blood made out of? And then in the lab, I create it, you know, synthesize it and make a, a synthetic version of blood, but it's called culture medium. Now, here comes the critical part. Since I am synthesizing it, I could change some of the ingredients a little bit. So here's the point. I make three different versions of culture medium, changing the chemistry a little bit. And I feed each of the three plates a different version of culture medium. So genetically identical cells, but slightly different environment. And I go, in dish one, the cells form muscle. In dish two, the cells form bone. And in dish three, the cells form fat cells. I go, so what controlled the fate of those cells? And the old story was genes. I go, no. They all had the exact same genes. That wasn't determining what the cell was going to do. What determined what the cell was going to do was the chemistry of the environment. Okay? So, but what led you to think, this is going to be my hypothesis, is that the environment is really what what changes the cells, not the actual cell. Like, oh, what that's in your what mind we- was happening? Well, that's at that point, it's like, wait a minute, I'm teaching in the classroom, genes control life. I go into my laboratory and it goes, no, environment controls life. So you, you, this, you sort of stumbled on this or were you intending for that to be, did you, did you think that you were going to find that the cells all looked the same and all formed the same? That was in, that was what you would expect. Right. Okay. And since I was cloning, I was cloning what were called uh, stem cells that make muscle, which have a name, myoblast. So the point about it is if I put a myoblast stem cell in the culture, I should get all muscle cells. Right. But sometimes uh, I'd put the cells in and then when I'd see them the next day, no, they don't look like muscle cells. They change their shape. They look different. I go, wait, why? They're all this. What happened? And then I started to recognize, and especially uh, my teacher at that time, back 53 years ago, was uh, Dr. Erwin Konigsberg, and he developed the cloning technique that I was using. And uh, uh, when I talked about it, he said, oh, (laughs) if you come in in the morning and the cells don't look healthy, it's not due to the cells, 
It's due to the conditions of the culture medium that we created. And that was like, oh, okay, so there's a good version of culture medium and a less version, uh, and that was accepted without even thinking about it. But then when I started to look at the different cell types that when I, my medium was off a little bit, and I looked at them, I said, well, yeah, but they, they made something different than muscle. They were genetically supposed to create muscle that was a stem cell for it. But then they started to create different cell types. And I go, wait a minute. The, the, this is, you know, um, it, it, the, the environment was determining which cell type they would become. I go, well, this is complete contrast to what I'm teaching. Genes control life. No, environment controls life. And, and I say, so what's the difference? And this is the profound difference when you understand what it means. The story we all have bought and almost everyone out there in this audience right now is, has bought the story that genes control life. It's called genetic determinism, mm -hmm. that your genes determine the character of your life. That's a philosophy that was a curriculum, and I taught that, okay? But then I saw, no, wait, the environment. <laughs> if the environment changes, the, the cells change. And then, so I go back and I try to, you know, try to understand this, and I said, but I can tell you what the difference is. If genes control your life, by definition, you are a victim of your heredity. Why? I didn't pick the genes. I can't change them. They turn on by themselves. I'm walking down the street and a cell that had a cancer gene turns on. All of a sudden, I got cancer. What the heck did I do? No, the genes did this, okay? Mm -hmm. So the perception that we teach is you're a victim of genes, okay? You got bad genes. You got that's. I'm sorry. That's your life. The new story over here said, no, the environment. And I go, well, why is that relevant? Because if I change the environment, I change the expression of my cells. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm the one that controls the environment. And then more importantly is this, cells adjust to what's going on in the world. So if you're an amoeba, you're out there all by yourself in a sense, and whatever's going on in the world, you're responding directly to it. And cells have to adjust their behavior to what's going on in the world because that's how you survive, okay? So uh, I go, well, that's really true. And then I go, look at the human body. As I mentioned before, it's not a single entity. It's a community of cells, 50 trillion. Then I also say this. It's a skin-covered Petri dish, 50 trillion cells inside. And I also then say, what? And I also go, oh, my goodness, it's the culture medium that is controlling the fate. And I go, yeah, but inside, guess what? The original culture medium, blood, because that's what I made culture medium from, composition of blood. And so I realized, oh, my goodness, the blood in our body is the culture medium for 50 trillion cells. <clears throat> Does it make a difference if the cell's in a plastic dish or a skin-covered dish? I go, not at all. It still responds to the culture medium environment. Synthetic environment, plastic dish, natural blood in skin-covered body dish. And I go, so why is it relevant? Then it's like, oh, the chemistry of the blood is determining the fate of your cells. And then you carry up to the next step and go, who's the chemist? What makes the chemistry of your blood? And then I carried it up to the next, and it's like, oh, my goodness. The cells in our body cannot see the world out here. Mm -hmm. They're inside. Mm -hmm. But they have to adjust. They have to adjust their behavior because whatever's going on out here, I have to adjust it in here. If it's cold outside, 
I have to raise the temperature in here. If it's warm outside, I lower the temperature so the cells are responding to this environment. But then I go, wait a minute. The cells can't see the environment in my side, inside my body, inside the dish called the skin dish. I go, well, then how do they know what's going on? I go, the nervous system reads the environment and then adjusts the chemistry of the blood to, to, you know, to make the cells respond to that environment. I go, so what does that mean? I say, the cells don't see the real environment. They only depend on my perception. If I think it's cold out, then, you know, I can, I can change my, my body temperature just by my thoughts if I do that, okay? And I go, so why is it relevant? Because, yes, the environment is controlling my cells, but the interface environment inside is my nervous system. So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my goodness, our perceptions are creating the chemistry of our blood. If uh, you have a perception of love, the brain releases complementary chemistry for love going into the body, which includes uh, dopamine, pleasure. That's why, oh, love is so beautiful. Oh, feels so good. It's a chemical going in there. Oxytocin is released when you're in love because that bonds you to the source of your love. Uh, vasopressin is released when you're in love. That makes you more attractive to your partner. So your partner's going to stay with you. And, and very importantly, when people are in love, the vision of love in the brain is, re, is released in the chemistry of growth hormone in the body into the culture medium. Mm-hmm. So I say, well, why is it relevant? I say, if I take those chemicals that I just said come from love and put them in a plastic petri dish with cells, the cells thrive. I go, this is what happens when people fall in love. They're healthier. They're thriving. Their life is much better. And I go, well, you know, people say, oh, look, you can see how they glow. See how in love they are. And I say, that glow isn't an accident. That's a result of the culture medium, the blood containing those wonderful chemicals, especially growth hormone. You should really consider teaching all of this. What's that? I said, you should really consider teaching (laughs) all of this. (laughs) Well, I I should because, uh, uh, let me just give the other alternative so that we can see two different things. Love releases beautiful chemistry. But if I open up my, uh, opening my eyes and I see something that scares me, the brain translates fear into different chemicals. No dopamine, no oxytocin, no growth hormone. Fear picture is translated into stress hormones. Mm-hmm. That shut down the body's function and shut down the immune system protection, fear, wall off, fear, shut me down. I go, if I take the fear chemicals released by the brain, put those in the plastic petri dish, guess what? The cells stop growing and then they start dying because you can't stay in fear. Because if you do, fear means walling yourself off and life is connecting to the world. Walling yourself off shuts off your connection. So love and fear, two different chemicals, sets of chemicals released into what? The blood culture medium, right? The culture medium then feeding 50 trillion cells. And I go, yeah, but there was the chemistry of the culture medium that determined the genetics. So there's environment. And this is the part, Amy, that I think I just really need people to emphasize. It's not only the real environment, it's the perception of that environment. Two people can be in the exact same environment and see totally different things. Mm-hmm. One's going there, look how beautiful this place is. This is the greatest thing ever. And the other's going, I- I'm concerned. I'm a little afraid about what's going on here. And I go, they're both in the same environment, but the cells in one body are going to respond totally different than the cells in the other body. And I go, so why is it relevant? 
the new science is called epigenetics. This is what I saw. And you go, well, it sounds like genetics. I say, let, let's consider that. I say, this trait is under genetic control. The definition of which everybody heard is that the genes are going to activate and then create that trait. And if you didn't pick the genes and you got them and you don't like them, they're still going to activate that, that thing, whether it's health or disease, okay? Uh, and then I go, no, but what's the new stuff? Epigenetics. And I go, it sounds like the same. I go, epi means above. So I say, mm -hmm. what, what do we call skin? The, the skin here, what do we call that? Epidermis. I go, why? Because just below the surface is a layer called the dermis. And so what is skin? Epidermis. What is epi? Above. This epidermis means above the dermis, okay? Epigenetic control is this trait is controlled epi above genetics. Epigenetics, okay? I say, wait a minute. You mean the genes aren't in control? I go, no, no, genes are not in control. That epigenetics is environment controlling. Ah, that's exactly what I saw 53 years ago, but it didn't become science until 1990. It took that long to get out of the story of genes activating themselves. Genes do not turn on and off. Genes are blueprints to make body parts. I go, why is that relevant? I say, go into an architect's office and she's working on a blueprint. Just lean over her shoulder and say, is your blueprint on or off? And she would look at me like, it's a blueprint. There's no on and off to a mm -hmm. blueprint. I go, a gene is a blueprint. It does not have on and off. It cannot control itself. It doesn't turn itself on. It doesn't turn itself off. I said, well, then what regulates? And I say, the gene is a blueprint. And there's the equivalent of an architect that will select and modify the genes. I go, what's the architect? consciousness because that's the one that releases the chemistry that activates or inactivates the genes so as you see the world and then i go story everybody has genetic control victim you're a victim of your heredity new story epigenetic control oh if i change my perception if i change my environment i've changed my genetic activity and all of a sudden it's like i'm a master of my genes and yet everyone is programmed to be a victim and I go, well, well, what? Yes, go ahead. Anna. No, no, I was just going to say, I remember the first time I was at a conference that was actually, I go to this Freud meets Buddha conference every year. And I remember hearing about epigenetics and coming out being so excited that it just, it just made sense to me that we have so much more control than, than we think of. And I, and I talk with my patients often about this is that, you know, the story that you're telling yourself in this situation is going to be different than the story anybody else tells themselves in that, and in that that's different And different chemistry. Your, each story has complementary chemistry so that the cells can perceive the story by the chemistry you release. Is it a love story? Oh, I got different chemicals for that. Is it a fear story? No, I got different chemicals for that. My cells are responding to my interpretation. So therefore, I control my genetics. So why aren't all doctors, <laughs> therapists, why aren't we all kind of moving in that direction? Where's the resistance? I mean, I know it's moving more there now than maybe ever before. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because it's a this is hard science now. This is not like, oh, this is a suggestion. No, this is an absolute fact. Epigenetics controls your heredity. 
and and epigenetics can change the action of every gene that you have. So I could come with, uh, you know, let me, very important point. Let's just say this right up because it's like, it's like, there is no gene that causes cancer. There's not one gene that causes cancer. I go, what do you mean? I say, I got all these oncogenes, cancer genes. I go, they're correlated with cancer. They don't cause cancer. Uh, and, and this difference is profound. For So, for example, um, the, the BRCA gene for breast cancer, right? Uh, what has the public been programmed with? If you have that gene, <laughs> you can get the breast cancer. So, someone like uh, Angelina Jolie, her mother dies from breast cancer. Her grandmother died from breast cancer. She finds out she's got the breast cancer gene. Oh, my God, I'm going to die if I have these breast cancer things. So, I'll double mastectomy. I'm a healthy young woman. I'm going to have a double mastectomy just to prevent that problem. I go, A, that doesn't prevent the problem because the cancer still will show up. Uh, but B, does the gene cause cancer? And then I answer with this. Half of the women with the gene never get the cancer. So I said, but what does that mean? Possession of the gene doesn't mean you got cancer. So the gene is correlated with cancer, but the possession of it doesn't mean you get it. Mm -hmm. I said, then what's the difference between a woman who has the gene and gets the cancer versus a woman who has the gene and doesn't get the cancer? And the answer, you ready? Lifestyle. Belief. Stress. That's what's different. And when you're, yes, go ahead, Jimmy. No, and how much of, of that, I mean, that's a controversial thing to say right now. Right? I mean, in general. Right? I'm not. I'm going to say it scientifically. I don't care if you have a breast cancer gene. It does not mean you're going to get breast cancer. Fact. <laughs> so, but how do people who are programmed from a place of fear, right? Like we're yeah. all kind of told all of these things all the time. I mean, fear is rampant right now. We'll talk about it. Yes you know, a yeah. pandemic. We have a pandemic of fear out there yeah. for sure. Yeah. How does that kind of play into the belief that you're actually going to get? Because this, this is your book, The Biology of Belief, belief. right? What's, that, your, what's your perception? Uh, 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 you come out of the diagnosis, you come out of the doctor's office, the doctor just told you, you have the breast cancer gene. When that woman walks out the door, what's your picture of? Happy days, fun at the beach. No, hell no. She walks out of there going, oh, my God, oh, my God, I, I could get the breast cancer. I said, what's the picture? When, when you say I could get the breast cancer, is it a picture of a healthy human? I go, absolutely not. It's a picture of a person with cancer. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, what's the function of the brain? Translate the perception into chemistry. I go, why is that relevant? It's the chemistry that causes the cancer. Okay. And I go, why? <laughs> because the cell, the genes don't activate unless the environmental signals engage them to activate. And so the brain's job is to take a perception, translate it into complementary chemistry, a happy, healthy, loving perception, one different kind of chemistry, a scary, I'm afraid perception. Oh, that's a completely different chemistry. I say, so what? The chemistry in the blood controls the genetics so if you change your thought you change the chemistry and so i say look two two people go to the doctor at the same time two you know they're two offices right next to each other two two patients two doctors and both patients are given what a prognosis that the 
they're, they're going to have cancer and they're going to die in about three months. So uh, the doctors formally tell them, look, um, you, you better go home and straighten out your details because you've got about three months left to live. Okay. Now here's the difference. One patient in one room goes, damn, those stupid cells, those cells are killing me. The cells did it. The cells are responsible. I'm going to radiate them. I'm going to kill them with chemistry. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of those dumb cells and then I'll be healthy again. Okay. The other person in the room next door is going at the same time of the diagnosis going, man, my life is so out of order. You know, it's so stressful. Everything I'm doing, my life, my job, the people I live with, the environment, it's a stress and stress. And, and that person goes, if I only have three months left, I'm just going to go out and enjoy myself. I'm going to let go of all this. I'm just going to let go of this stress. I don't know. Who cares? If I only got three months, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. And then I say, so tell me what happens three months later. And the answer is, the one with the, the genes did it and I'm nothing, I'm just a victim, is the one who's going to die. The one who said, my life is not serving me. My life is, uh, you know, causing the stresses that are undoing my biology. That one who says, well, I'll, I'm just going to go out. Three months are on vacation. A year, they're on vacation, you know. I go, two years, they're still, I go, what happened? The cancer is a direct relationship to a stressful environment that you cannot handle. Mm. But if you do handle it, then cancers undergo a remission. Uh, and do I need to kill the cells? No, the cells are doing, the cells are not, the big one, hold it people, I'm gonna say something here, <laughs> <laughs> okay. In cancer, the cells are not the problem, the cells are the symptom. And what do you mean? I say, it's a mirror telling you, your biology is telling you that your, your thoughts are not in harmony with what's going on in here. Disharmony, disease. Harmony, health. And so, yes. So, so let's break that down a little because I had um, Dr. Jeff Redinger on the show. Running, running, juror. I always wonderful say man. Yeah, wonderful. he he's. I'm so grateful because he's who connected us, and he did all of. He wrote a whole book on spontaneous healing and yeah. remissions. Um, but when I thought this was so important in your book, and I'm going to just read it because I don't want to misread it or misquote it. Okay, you said you need more than just positive thinking to harness control of your body and your life. It's important for our health and well-being to shift our mind's energy towards the positive, life-generating thoughts and eliminate ever-present energy-draining and debilitating negative thoughts. But, and I mean that in the biggest sense of B-U-T capital, the mere thinking of positive thoughts will not necessarily have any impact on our lives at all. In fact, people who flunk positive thinking become more debilitated because they now have they because they now think their situation is hopeless. They believe they have exhausted all mind and body remedies. And so when you say like, because I'm a big believer in this, you can't just yeah. think you're going to think positive and suddenly that's it. So can right. you talk about what that's about in terms of our conscious and subconscious mind uh, and how we, how we address that? 
Yeah. Well, let's start with the general thing that the public has been hearing. The mind is controlling our biology. Okay, that's that's not a new idea. That the ancient people, you know, the Buddha 2500 years ago said what we think we become meaning that your consciousness is creating what your reality is and we say the mind and I go that's where the problem comes from the mind sounds like there's a single mind up here I go no there are two minds interdependent meaning two minds that are working together okay and I say what are they I say these two minds listen learn in different ways and have different functions Okay, I say, so what are the two minds? Well, let me talk about the latest part of the mind right behind your forehead. This is where consciousness is the seat of the conscious mind, about 10% of the brain right up here in the front. The remaining 90% back here was there before consciousness. That's called the subconscious. What's the difference? Subconscious means whatever behavior is coming from the, the subconscious, it doesn't require your thoughts at all. It's below consciousness. Uh, you don't, you're not controlling your heart rate consciously right now. You can, but uh, you're not, your body temperature, that's automatic. Your heart rate, your breathing rate, all these things, you don't have to think about it. It's automatic, subconscious, okay? So I go, so what's the point here? And the point is this, subconscious is the equivalent of an autopilot. I go, what does that mean? I say, why do I need an autopilot? Why not just use my conscious creativity? And that's, okay, functional difference, because I said they're different. Conscious mind is creative. It has imagination. You can picture anything you want to picture with it, okay? Subconscious mind is not creative. It's habit, habitual. What programs are in the subconscious are like programs in your hard drive. You push start, program runs by itself. I don't need to do anything. The program runs by itself. But the conscious mind is the one who's typing on the keyboard, interfacing the program. Okay? So the conscious mind is creative, wishes and desires, and can control the biology. Here's the problem. This is the problem. The conscious mind can also think. There you go. What you, where's the problem? I go... Imagine your body is a vehicle with a steering wheel, okay? And I say, when the conscious mind is driving the vehicle, the conscious mind's got its hands on the wheel, it's going to take you toward wishes and desires and imagination. That's what it does. It has creative stuff in it, okay? But I say, uh, when the subconscious mind uh, is in that state, the, the conscious mind's got its hands on the wheel. Subconscious mind's taking care of blood and breathing and respiration and all that. But then if I think, and I go, well, so what? I go, well, if you're driving the vehicle and the conscious mind is looking out the windshield to see where we're going so we can control where we're going. But when you think, the conscious mind stops looking out the window because the conscious mind has to go inside. So I say, uh, Amy, tell me what you're doing on Saturday. Now, you're sitting right there, right in your place right now. And let's pretend you don't have an agenda out in front of you or any, you know, calendar. And I say, tell me what you're doing on Saturday. I bet you within a moment or two, you're going to tell me, oh, well, I'm doing this. I say, where'd you get the answer? You say, oh, I thought about it. What am I doing on Saturday? What am I doing on Saturday? I go, guess what? When you're thinking, conscious mind is not looking out the window. Conscious mind is now looking inside because answers for thoughts are inside. So I say, yeah, but if the conscious mind's driving the car, the vehicle, and it starts looking inside, then who's going to drive the vehicle? If I'm really, let's just say I'm really driving a car and I start thinking, 
my conscious mind is not looking out the windshield. It's going inside. Where am I going? What am I doing? I go, oh, my God. Then who the heck is going to drive the car? Because if conscious mind can't look out the window, we're in a lot of trouble. And I go, subconscious mind knows how to drive the car because it's a habit program that you learn. So the moment you stop paying attention to the road, subconscious is autopilot gets behind the wheel and puts its hands on the wheel and will drive the vehicle while you're thinking. Okay. Now I go, so why is this relevant? Well, the behavior that you're playing when you're thinking is straight from the subconscious program, just whatever the program is. And I go, and where did you get those programs? I go, not from you. You got them from your parents, your siblings, and your community between birth and age seven is when we download the programs to use in our brain. And I go, and you downloaded those programs from who? Where did you get those programs? From other people. I say, does their behavior answer what you want? Is their behavior a reflection of what you want in your life? Did your parents live the ideal situation that you would like? Or maybe they didn't. I go, why is it relevant? As I say, in my particular case, uh, my parents, it was a dysfunctional relationship. So I say, so what did I learn in seven years? My mother's behavior, my father's behavior, <laughs> they didn't work together, but that's what I downloaded. And I go, so why was it relevant? And I go, how was my life in creating relationships? And I go, crap. It was total crap. Why? Because every time I tried to get in a relationship, the conflicting programs that I got from my mother and father screwed up the relationship. And I go from one relationship to another. That didn't work. That didn't work. And I go, why are all these people so wrong? No, no, they're not wrong. It was why am I selecting these people and, and expressing this behavior? And the answer is, and here goes, science has recognized that we are thinking 95% of the day. I said, so what does that mean? I said, well, if I'm thinking 95% of the day, my creative conscious wishes and desires mind is not working and controlling the vehicle because that mind went inside 95% of the day. And then I said, what is my behavior? 95% of my behavior is whatever I got from my program. And I go, yes. So do you differentiate subconscious from unconscious? Like in a- No, they're the same. Okay, but, so but you the, use them interchangeably. Yeah, but conscious means I have a thoughtful concern over what I'm doing. I'm mm. conscious of what I'm doing. Subconscious is like, oh, it just happened. I, you know, I'm walking down the street. Do I have to think right foot, left foot, move? And, no, that's, I don't have to think about that. That's un unconscious, subconscious, mm -hmm. okay? So here's, so here, what are we coming down to conclusion with? And this is this. You, as a personal identity, a source, as an individual, is what the conscious mind's all about. The subconscious mind is just a database of programs, just like the hard drive in your computer. And I say, so why is it relevant? Because the subconscious mind is autopilot. When I'm thinking, my subconscious mind takes over driving the car, walking, whatever I need, to, the standard things I know how to do because I've done them my whole life, okay? And I say, and you got your programs from who? Well, parents and siblings and family. And I go, were they fully supportive of what you want in your life? I say, no, because their life doesn't go where I want to go. But I tell you what, 95% of the day, your behavior is controlled by those programs. A and B, you didn't see it. You didn't see your behavior 95% of the day. What do you mean I didn't see my behavior? I said, because when you're thinking, the behavior is automatic. I'll give a story, same story, Amy, 30 years, 35 years lecture. 
uh, I, I look for a better one, but at this point, 35 years, I still give you the same story. <laughs> I'll see if story. I can come up with something. <laughs> okay, so here's the story. You have a friend, you know your friend's behavior very well, and you know your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the exact same behavior as their parent. So you volunteer, you go, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. Back away from Bill. The moment you say that, Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. I don't know where you come up with that stuff. And I go, most profound story in the whole world. I go, why? Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. Who's the one that doesn't see it? Bill. So explain that. The answer is simple. He downloaded that behavior from his father in the first seven years, and he only plays that program when he's thinking, which means his conscious mind is not looking out the window, not paying attention to what's going on. His behavior is automatically running from a program that he got from somebody else. I go, so why is that relevant? Because he doesn't see what he's doing. And as a result, he could be sabotaging himself all day long, and he's the only one that doesn't see it. But then I say, but what's going on in the mind of Bill? And I go, he woke up in the morning with positive wishes and desires. Today, I'm going to find a relationship. Today, I'm going to be healthy. Today, I'm going to be successful. And at the end of the day, he comes home. It didn't happen. And I say, so what would Bill think about what just happened during the day? It's not me. I went forward with a great positive thinking. And I go, what happened? The positive thinking mind only worked 5%. So how much can I express of that positive thing? I say 5% of your day, only 95% a day, you're the program, but you don't see it. And as a result, you perceive yourself to be a victim of the world because you had very positive thinking and you end up with very negative reality. And therefore it's like, well, it's not me. I go, it's your subconscious. It was operating 95% of the day without you seeing it. Other people respond to it because they see it, but you don't. And I go, and that is where the damn concept of victim comes in, because I wanted to be positive. I gave it all that positive thinking. And I go, well, guess what? <laughs> there was the problem right there, positive thinking. I said, why is that relevant? Where's thinking? Inside. I have all these beautiful positive thoughts. I said, oh, when you're thinking those positive thoughts, who's running the show? Mm -hmm. The subconscious, the programs I got from my family. How relevant are the subconscious? Let me give you this major point. They studied the fate of children adopted into families where cancer is running in that family from the lineage of the family. What did they find out? The adopted child will get the same family cancer that is running in that family, but the adopted child has totally different genetics. Where the hell did the cancer come from? Not the genes from the downloaded programs in that first seven years that are in disharmony, that are not fulfilling, that are stress-provoking programs. The programs operating 95% of the day cause the cancer. So what we're really talking about is positive feeling, not positive thinking. Positive action. And I say, well, how do you have positive action? And there's a great example because the book, The Honeymoon Effect, explains how could your life be blah, 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 blah. And then one day you meet somebody and then 24 hours later you're going, oh, 
life is so beautiful. I love my life. Oh, the food's great. The music's great. This relationship is the best thing ever. I'm happy. And I say, oh, what did you just fall into? The honeymoon. What's the honeymoon? Heaven on earth. I go, wait, blah, 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 blah. 24 hours later, heaven on earth. How'd that happen? You ready? When people fall in love, science has recognized they stay mindful. Mindful is a term that means you keep your conscious mind present. You're alert, you're reacting, you're present, you're not thinking. You're just being in the present moment. I say, so why is that important? Because when you stop thinking, then the brain part that's running your life is not the subconscious programs. It is now the conscious wishes and desires. And I say, so what? I say, blah, 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 subconscious programs, fall in love, heaven, 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 heaven. Ah, you stop running the program. The conscious mind held onto the wheel and drove it. When two people are driving in that direction for, for wishes and desires and they're, and they're operating from the conscious mind, they manifest heaven on earth. And then you go, but the honeymoon doesn't last. And I go, why? Answer is simple. The reason you had the honeymoon is you stop thinking, you stay mindful. But what if you start thinking again? Well, all of a sudden, say, all of a sudden, those programs that didn't play, why? I didn't play subconscious programs when I was conscious. I didn't need the subconscious program. So I say, does my partner even know about my subconscious programs? Nope. Why? You didn't play them. You stopped playing the programs. And I say, well, why is it relevant? Mm-hmm. Well, most of those programs are negative and disempowering, self-sabotaging. I say, so why? Well, in my beginning of my relationship, we didn't play programs. We were creating heaven on earth. But at some point down the road, it's like, oh, I got to fix a car. I got a job. I have responsibilities. I got to do this. And I'm. And then that's where all the subconscious or unconscious, as a therapist would say, comes into play. You're projecting that. And then you make that your, the reality of the situation. Yes. And your partner, now remember, did not see these behaviors in the honeymoon part because you didn't play any of these negative behaviors. Now your partner is looking at you going, what kind of behavior is that? Go back to Bill. Whatever he just said, he didn't see it. So, uh, you know, my partner Margaret comes in. You know, we've been in the honeymoon. And now I'm thinking about, oh, I got to go do this work. I got to do this. She comes in and asks me a simple question. And I go, blah, blah, blah. She looks at me and goes, what was that? Who are you? Where did that come from? The story of Bill. Margaret, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Why? I didn't see my own behavior, but she saw it. She responded to it. And all of a sudden, it's like the the glow of that honeymoon starts to get a little dimmer. But that might be the first of the negative programs. I got more negative programs that are yet to come up. So the more thinking I do, the more thinking she does, the more both of our negative programs rise to the surface. And there's a point where they conflict so much that separation, divorce, you know, whatever it was. And I said, how come it started out heaven on earth and it ends up with fight, divorce? The answer is heaven on earth was because you use your positive conscious mind, creating wishes and desires. You stop thinking. And, but as you started to add more thinking to your life, more and more of that stuff underneath starts coming up. And, and this is life, why yes. mindfulness <clears throat> is so important. Absolutely. Right? Mindfulness is the one that says, 
I am controlling my life with wishes and desires versus I am controlling my life with downloaded programs. Wishes and desires, that's my choice for life. Downloaded programs, I copied somebody else's life. That's what I got in the first seven years. And that's how you manifest reality, your reality in some way. Exactly how you do that. And all of a sudden I say, so why? I say, well, I started out with conscious wishes and desires, positive thinking in the morning. Success, health, relationship, great. But during the day, 95% of my life is not coming from that wish and desire, positive thinking. It's coming from the programs. Why? Because I've been busy thinking and the programs took over the show. But all day you're you're in this place of wait. But I woke up this morning and I was going to manifest a great day. One, one of those, one of the five percent of the day, one of those minutes of I'm in. All of a sudden, I'm in my conscious mind going, "Oh man, this isn't. It's not working out right." Uh, 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 and then boom, back into the program, and then more. It's not working out right. Mm-hmm. And, and so the idea is this: we are creators. The blah blah blahs. Well. They're actually related to the download from our family and our community. And, and I go, and the ha, ah, the loving stuff like that. No, that's not from the download. That's from the creation part. 5%, 95%. And I go, so what, what can you do about it? I say, well, you can stay mindful. If you stay mindful, you never play the damn program again. And you'll have heaven on earth every day of your life. But in our world, Staying mindful is a very, very difficult job. You're being bombarded with so much information and things you have to do and integrate and and all these thoughts. And I go, yeah, but if my conscious mind is so busy thinking and integrating these thoughts, then I'm not giving my life from here. I'm giving it from down here, subconscious. And then I'm Bill. Mm -hmm. And, and, And this is a story of life because the idea is you've been programmed everybody's been programmed. There's a simple reason why. I have a, a, a brand new computer. I just went to the store, bought a brand new computer, come home, open up the, the lid on my laptop, push start, boom, it boots up. It's ready to go. I say, okay, brand new computer, ready to go. Let's do a drawing. Let's do a spreadsheet. Let, let's write an essay. I go, I, I can't do that. I said, what do you mean? You got a brand new computer. Just boot it up. I said, can't do it. I said, why not? First, you have to put programs in the computer so that you can then interface those programs. If there's no program in the computer, you can't do anything. So I say, ah, the brain is a computer. It's capable of booting up in the last trimester of pregnancies. Screen's on. It's ready. I say, do something with it. It's like, I have no program. I said, oh, how do you get the program? You download them. From where? Family, community. And then the first seven years, the brain is not predominantly unconscious, not even there. The first seven years of a child's life, the operating system of the, the nervous system is operating below consciousness. It's operating in a state called theta. That's a vibration. Mm-hmm. I go, so why is that relevant? Theta is imagination. Yes, children up to age seven mix the real world in the imaginary world. Oh, let's have a tea party. Pour nothing into the cup, drink the nothing, and go, <laughs> oh, that was the most wonderful tea I ever had. And I go, theta, mixing imagination tea party. It wasn't real, but in the mind, you created it. Theta is also hypnosis. 
I go, why is it relevant? Because I need to become a member of a family and I need to become a member of a community. There are rules. You want to be a member of family? You got to have rules. You got to have rules for a community. I go, so here, there's a thousand rules, at least a thousand rules of how I say, okay, here's an infant, two years old. And you say, here's this volume of this rules of how, you know, how to behave. I say, what's a two-year-old going to do with a book? <laughs> Can't do anything with it. So nature replaces that by having the child's brain in a state of hypnosis to observe and record the behaviors that are necessary to be a member of this family and the behaviors that are necessary to be a functional member of this community. That's how a child learns the rules. I say, so how to learn the rules? Hypnosis. And I say, what did it download? Behaviors of other people. And then those are the programs that you start your life with. And I go, well, yeah, you started your life with those. But once you become conscious, you can interface those programs and you can work with them in a different way. But if you're not being conscious, then the program runs just the way you got it. And if it was a negative program, then unconsciously you're going to be expressing negative behavior without you even being aware of it, because 95% of the day, that is the mind that is running the show. So when we talk about sort of spirituality and science and energy and science, how do you see those things interfacing? Because, and I know we've talked about a lot of that, but, you know, I think that people have really separated these two pieces and clearly based on this discussion, they are not at all separate that no. we are bringing that um, psychological energy into our physical being. And then We're that's creators. getting expressed. We're creators. We're creating from this nervous system, but are you creating what you want or are you creating what the program says to conform? Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and, and all of a sudden I go like that. And then also, here's another part. We have a perception, a misperception, based on Newtonian physics. And you go, what the hell is that? And I go, Newtonian physics is a science. I read the book, so I get it now. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Newtonian physics is the science of the mechanics of the universe. And Newtonian physics, the first thing it does is separate matter physical reality from invisible energy. So we have a material realm, an invisible energy realm, okay, according to Newtonian physics, and then comes the principle of matter is only affected by matter, and energy is affected by energy, but energy and matter don't interact. So I say, so what does the resulting thinking lead to? And it goes, the body is made out of matter. You wanna change the body? Chemistry, drugs, surgery, interact and physically change this okay and i go but what if everything's energy i go very important factor ready matter has in our illusion separation i can separate my right hand from my left hand and now i can talk about let's talk about my right hand i don't want to talk about my left hand i talk about my right hand i go Oh, so they're completely separate. Yeah, physical things are separate from each other. People are physical things. They're separate from each other. They're separate from the environment. They're separate because they're their own little contained physical thing. In 1927, Newtonian physics was replaced by a bigger model called quantum physics. And you go, what is that? And it says, matter is an illusion. <laughs> I go, no. <laughs> 
hot what does that mean i go matter doesn't exist matter is an expression of energy and you go but energy by definition is invisible i go yeah so how can i see you <laughs> obviously you must be matter i can see you i can touch you i can i go uh, but you're trying to tell me it's all energy i go yeah i go why because that's what everything inside the atom we always said, oh, smaller things, protons, neutrons, electrons, little particles. I go, and when they looked in those little particles, that's when they found at the base of it all, the particle is not created from matter. It's an energy vortex, like a nano tornado, a force field, small force field. I go, and then I said, but energy is invisible. How can I see you, Amy? How can you see me? And then it's going to sound like a joke. So we'll laugh for a second. I say, Amy, you can see me because the lights are on. And I go, yeah. I go, point. Photons of light come from a light source, sun, lamp, wherever, fire, wherever the light is coming from. But when photons hit an energy field, they're reflected back. So I say, are you seeing my energy or are you seeing the reflection of photons? The answer is the latter because the light is what gives illumination, but the energy underneath us, our, our veneer of photons that are hitting us, the energy, you can't see that. You're seeing the reflection of the light. If there's no light, you can't see me. <laughs> uh, and then I go, and then think about this, the scan systems that are now being used, CAT scans, MRI scans, uh, PET scans, these are scanning systems that medicine uses. I go, well, how do they work? They can see inside your body. They can see all the structures. You get a CAT scan, you can see all the bones, the muscles, the tendons, and all the things. You can see all these things. I go, how do they see them? Not through light. <laughs> how can I see in the middle of your body? There's no light in there. What is the scan system reading? Energy fields. The body is made out of energy fields, but we reflect the light, and the energy fields look like now I can see them. But the point about it is this. This is really critical. Energy does not have borders. <laughs> energy is waves. And they just go out like ripples in a pond. I go, so, yeah, energy are ripples. And I go, what happens in a rainstorm? The pond is being hit by all these raindrops, and they're ripples and ripples and ripples. And I say, what else? Do they, come to, do they stop when one ripple hits the other ripple? No the ripples go through each other and they modify each other. The waves of energy are modifying each other. I say, why is it relevant? There is no separation in the universe. Everything is energy and energy is invisible and it entangles with other energy. I have an energy, Amy, you have your own energy field, but your energy field is not just connected to yourself. Your energy field is entangled in everything where you are right now, the chair you're sitting on, the computer you're looking at, other people in the family. Why? They're all ripples in a pond. I say, so why is that relevant? Because an energy over here, and you're the energy over here, they can be entangled. That's the word. And then they influence you. And I go, energy influences me? I go, the Asians for a couple of thousand years have been using feng shui. I say, what's feng shui? They recognize that every object has an energy. And where you put, this is what feng shui is all about, how mm -hmm. you place objects 
is creating an energy field. You're creating a matrix of energy by decorating your house. I go, uh, interesting, I, I, I talk about people, you know, like a, the standard like living room model, a couch and a couple of individual chairs, you know, that's a set. And I say, if you have one of those, I bet you if you sit in one of those chairs, you sit in one of those chairs. You don't sit equally in both of those chairs. There's one that's your favorite chair. I go, favorite chair? What the heck? It's a chair. They, they're both exactly the same. What do you mean favorite chair? I go, it's not the chair. It's the position of the chair in the crystal of the decorations and energy you put around feng shui. And so there's a chair where that energy focuses on you. You set up the energy because of feelings, okay, which are energy. And you created a, an interior decor. And yet you created in such a way that that one chair that you like is the focus of energy of what you put into this room. That since you had the desire to put this in, the energy from those things enhances you. So when you sit in a chair, you pick the one, oh, when I sit in this chair, I feel more comfortable. The other chair is exactly the same. I go, no, the one that you sit in is in the field that you have created. And so all of a sudden it says, yeah, my goodness, we are responding to all these energy fields. And this is where the problem of medicine is, and that is medicine is Newtonian based, says your body is physical, ignore the energy. I go, you can't ignore the energy, everything's energy. I go, why is that relevant? A patient goes into a doctor's office and the doctor looks at him and takes all the statistics, breathing, respiration, body temperature, blood pressure, and I go, of that person sitting in that room. As if there's something wrong with that person, then everything that's wrong with that person is in that room right there, and we're going to diagnose it. I go, oh, that's your problem. Because you're interconnected to everything in your environment, your family. Every family member is an energy ripple on a pond. The dog, an energy ripple <laughs> on the pond. The chair, an energy ripple on the pond. I say, why is this relevant? We're an expression of the energy, okay? And we create our life based on those energies. And if you don't recognize the energy is influential, Newtonian physics says, no, energy is not relevant, then that person in the doctor's office is going to be diagnosed physically on the sense of what they brought into that office, on the test, temperature, blood pressure, all that. That's what they brought in. But if you don't really understand where that person's coming from, the job, the family dynamics that they're in, the environment that they're living in, what's going on around them. Why? You can't separate those. That's all energy that's entangled mm -hmm. with each other. You can ignore them by not, I'm not looking at them. I'm not looking out. I'm just going to say, what's wrong in here? And then they'll give me a medication to fix something wrong in here. And I go, yeah, but that wasn't where the problem came from. It came from the field and the energy that you're in. And this is a choice issue. <clears throat> and this is when you become conscious. You have a moment of saying, this isn't right. And I go, then what are you going to do about it? Oh, conform to it because that's the way we always do it. And I go, well, there's your problem. <laughs> you, you recognize it's not right and you're staying in that field. To make the difference, you have to make a decision. And you make these decisions based on your feelings. All, all these decisions are based on feelings. <clears throat> I give people a, a story in my lecture. I say, uh, you go to a, a major department store, Macy's, Gimbel's, uh, Nordstrom, and high end. And I go, wow, great stuff here. Oh, there's a sale on shoes. They got 10 pair of shoes on sale. They're all the same price. They're all different styles. 
but they're all the same price. And you can get it in your size and your color. And I say, you stand in front of the 10 pair of shoes to do what? Make a decision. I want to buy a pair of shoes. Which pair of shoes are you going to buy? They're all the same price, so all of a sudden that goes out the window. It's not based on that. Now it's based on what? Why did you end up picking one pair of shoes out of 10 available possibilities? Why did you pick one? Ready? It made you feel good. The shoes had a feeling. Ah, that's an energy. Mm -hmm. Okay? You chose based on the energies of harmony. These shoes are more in harmony with me than the other nine pair. You bought the shoe not by price, not by color. You bought it because the style was an energy that conformed to you, made you feel good. What's the point? Your decision wasn't based on anything but feelings. <laughs> I go, and underneath it, every decision we make is based on feeling. So, like, yes. oh, go ahead. <clears throat> Well, just a feeling is not physical, mechanical. Feeling is an energy. So last question, because I could honestly talk to you all afternoon, um, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. What, how do we shift our energy then? Consciousness, you have to be aware of what's going on. And if you don't like something, you don't have to go, oh, I just don't, I don't like it. Say, no, you don't like it, then do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Change, move. Don't go there and go, I I can't do this. I just have to live with this. I go, you just accepted a reality because your conscious mind can create totally different realities, but we live in fear. Oh my God, I'm in an abusive relationship. I'm going to stay in it. I know it's so abusive. It beats the hell out of me. Why are you staying? Well, it could be worse outside. (laughs) Could Mm -hmm. be worse. Yep. And all of a sudden I say, I accept this abuse rather than the unknown. And the reality is, If your vision is to be abused, I don't care where you're going to go, your consciousness will manifest an abusive situation. Your consciousness is creating this, and it's going to, your creation is going to complement your consciousness. But more importantly, is it your consciousness or your subconscious? And I go, oh, my consciousness is only working 5% of the day. You know those positive thoughts? Yeah, no wonder why they didn't work. Why? Because that mind is only controlling 5%. 95%, I'm, my life is a complement to my program. And you got programmed. All of us got programmed. The movie The Matrix is not science fiction. It's a documentary. Everybody got programmed. Mm-hmm. And that's the first mm-hmm. seven years, okay? And then it's interesting because in the movie The Matrix, they say, well, if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. I go, what does that mean? I go, you've already done it. (laughs) What do you mean I've done it? I said, if you have fallen in love in your life, any one time, may not last that long, I don't care. If you had a love thing that just happened, immediately consequential of this, your life is different. And I go, why? Because now you're controlling it 100% with your consciousness and not defaulting to the subconscious program. So the point is this, if you've ever experienced love like that, that's the red pill. You stop playing the program. That's Mm -hmm. what the red pill done. And I say, and what happened the moment you stopped playing the program? Conscious mind took over, creativity, positive thinking, all of those wonderful things just happened, okay? 
And so then the idea is, well, then 95% of my life is coming from the program. What are my programs? Why? Well, I was programmed before I was born, last trimester of pregnancy, it started. I was programmed the whole year from zero to one. What was that program? Oh, you don't remember. Well, you weren't there. Okay, how about the programming you got the whole year from being one to two? You remember those programs? No, I don't don't remember them, no. And I go, oh, okay, how about from two to three? Maybe by three I can start to remember. Okay, so here's what the point is. Do you know what your programs are? They're controlling your life 95% of the day. And I say, and I go, I'll tell you what your programs are. Your life is a printout of your programs. Hmm. And I go, what does that mean? I say, the things that you like that come into your life, they come in because the program acknowledges those things. But this is the one, please pay attention. The things that you wish for and desire, but you have to work real hard. You have to struggle. You have to sweat. I'm going to make this happen. I'm working real hard. I'm putting a lot of effort. Why are you working so hard? Ready? The programs that you got before seven do not support that outcome. And you're using your conscious mind to try to override the negative program by saying, I can put more effort into it. I can make it happen. I can work on it. I go, you're working to overcome the fact that the program you got doesn't support that. <laughs> so I say, you want to know what your programs are? Look at your life. The things that you like come in. Don't worry about it. You got program. That's why they're there. But the things that you want in your life, and they don't come readily, and you have to work real hard and stress over to make it happen, it's not you're fighting the outside. You're fighting the program on the inside that does not support that conclusion. And so let's say I'm looking for this wonderful relationship most of my life, and I'm going, uh, how come I can't find it? <laughs> and then it turns out because 95% of my life is coming from the program. Where did I get that? My mother and father's relationship. So that my life is going to play that program. Well, that mm-hmm. program didn't lead to success. <laughs> so I struggle. And then the point is, well, if you know this, then there's an opportunity to rewrite those programs. And as a psychologist, I'm going to leave that that story for you. But the idea is, if I know what the program is, then I can change that program specifically. I have a troubled relationship. I got to review what I learned about relationships in my subconscious. And I can reprogram the content of a relationship that I love. I can reprogram. This is where my life changed personally. Because first thing was always going from putting culture medium into a dish and see, seeing how that environment was controlling it and then following this and following and following it and getting up to, oh my God, the control and the chemistry is from the brain, but the brain has consciousness. I go all the way up to this point, you know, I got it. And that, then that awareness came that said, if I don't change the program, I am doomed to keep playing this program for the rest of my life. I got a bad relationship. Guess what? I had a relationship with this person, didn't work out. Then I had a relationship with this person, it didn't work out. Then I had a relationship with that person, it didn't work out. And it was like, what's wrong with all of them? I said, the only common thing in all of them was me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so and getting I people to recognize to that is not easy. No, but that was as a biological consequence, not as a, you know, with, you know, oh, that philosophically, that's a really wonderful idea. It had nothing to do with philosophy. It had mm-hmm. to do with biology and chemistry. And when I understood that, then I started to say, wait, this behavior is taking me off track. 
I'm not finding this. So what do I need to do? I need to change my conscious pro- subconscious program that I got from my parents. And through ways that uh, you can administer as a psychologist, uh, I can rewrite that. And I say, so what was the result? I started to rewrite where the conflicts and the negative part were coming from by recognizing those were programs. So I just had to take the opposite of that program and download that. And guess what? Honeymoon with Margaret, 22 years. I wake up every day going, oh, wow, we're still here. We're still in love. Life is beautiful and all that. And we create a beautiful life because between us, like Bill, uh, she would look at me and go, you know, that behavior, that wasn't necessarily the greatest behavior. And I go, oh, I should change that. I go, yeah, okay, psychologically, I can change it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I say, what was the result? And that's the beautiful part. If you reprogram the negative things that you were struggling with, with positive programs, positive thinking, but applied, I can change that program. And so today, what? I cleaned out almost all the negative stuff. Why is that relevant? I wake up every day going, wow, I'm still here. What a great place. Look what I'm creating. Look at my life that I've created. From personally, I can see my transition from here to here as a result of what? Recognizing I am a creator that we're each creators. And if you don't like the creation, you don't have to live with that creation because you can rewrite the programming because a negative creation is not coming from the positive thinking of a conscious mind. And if you understand that, then we'll beat a pathway to your door, Amy, so you can help us say, hey, I don't like this part of the program, help me with this part. And there are ways to change those programs. And the point is the moment you change the program, you've rewritten the script for your life. And you are free to do that. But if you don't know you have programs, they're invisible. You bought into the belief that you're a victim. I say the belief of victim manifests what? Victim. Victim, yep. I believe I'm a victim. Oh, surprise. I am a victim of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. of this. Of this. Right. And and this is the the connection of of really what ancient spirituality uh, let me just uh, say, I was not a spiritual person. I didn't believe in that at all. Neither was I. <laughs> I was a biology guy. Genes, chromosomes, proteins, cells. You're here, then you're dead, and all the pieces go back into the ground and all that. But when I started to understand the nature of quantum physics and epigenetics, because quantum physics has first emphasized the invisible field. Epigenetics says that invisible field is now shaping your biology, and I started to recognize that. I mean, there was an instant where I said, oh, my God, I'm a, like a broadcast. I'm an energy field that is being picked up by antennas, proteins, antennas like television antennas, on the surface of my cells. My cells are like little television sets with antennas on them. I said, yeah. And what program are they playing? I said, whatever program is coming across those antennas is going to play through that cell. And I go, yeah, but the program is not inside the cell. It came from the broadcast. And the broadcast is the field. And I say field, and I go, in quantum physics, the term field represents the invisible energy that we're immersed in. Wherever you are right now, there's invisible energies passing through you all the time. Radio broadcast, TV broadcast, cell phone calls, uh, solar energy. We're in a field, okay? And I started to recognize no two people have the same set of these antennas. I go, why was it relevant? Because they're identity creators. 
So if I take my cells, Amy, and put it into your body, my antennas don't match the antennas on your cells. I go, so why is that relevant? Because the immune system can read the antennas. And it says, oh, wait, these cells don't belong to us. They're receiving a different broadcast. They're not receiving our show. They're receiving whoever those cells they're tuned to. And so the immune system will eliminate them. Okay? So I say, so what's the relevance? The identity that we have, we associate with the antennas. You have a different set of what are called self-receptors than I have. Self-receptors, receivers of self. I go, and why is it relevant? Because when you understand quantum physics, it's not the antennas where the show is coming from. It's the broadcast in the field. My antennas pick up the Bruce show. Your <laughs> antennas pick up the Amy show. If I put my cells in your body, there are two shows going on at the same time. The immune system says, I can't have two of them. Get rid of that foreign one. Okay. <clears throat> and I was understanding the nature of how the membrane was translating environment into biology and then realized no two people share the same set of antennas. I go, why is it relevant? The antennas are not what make us different. It's the broadcast received by the antennas from the environment that makes us different. So I said, well, my body is like, okay, a television set. You're looking at the Bruce show on my television set, okay? And I go, when you're watching TV and TV breaks, we say, TV's dead. Yep, it's not working anymore. That's true. Dead TV. Is the broadcast still going? Of course it's still going. How do I know? I get another TV, turn it on, tune it into the station, and boom, I'm back on again. Wait a minute. The broadcast continues. The bodies come and go. The televisions. Mm. I'm not the television. I'm the broadcast that's coming in here. And the moment I recognized, I said, I can't die because I'm not the TV. I'm just playing through this TV. I am the broadcast being picked up by these antennas. Mm -hmm. the TV, body's not working. Broadcast is still there. If another embryo shows up in the future with the same set of antennas, you're back online again, different TV. Does it have to be male or female TV? Nope, that's a TV set. Does it make a difference if it's white, brown, red, black, yellow? No, that's the TV set. We're not the TVs. That's just the expression of us in this virtual reality suit that we come into. We're remotely controlled robots. The signals <laughs> of self coming in control what I do. Unless I start thinking... And then automatically the control is then sent to the subconscious because I can let go of the wheel and the subconscious will be the autopilot. And so the moment I recognize it's like, oh my God, I'm not in here. Uh, and it was kind of funny because <clears throat> as a scientist, of course, I have to ask questions of like, I just recognize I'm the broadcast and then I have a body and the broadcast on body. I go, I ask myself, why well, have a body and a spirit? Field and spirit. Oh, I should go back. I mentioned field is the energy that we're immersed in. Mm -hmm. Let me give a definition of it, right? Field, invisible moving forces that influence the physical world. Spirit, definition, invisible moving <laughs> forces that influence the physical world. I go, it's not a coincidence. 
Quantum physics is revealing the ancient insight into spirituality. Even the two words, field and spirit, have the same definition to them. So I go, so why is it relevant? And the idea is there is a spiritual existence. And then when I recognize that, now go back to my little story that always amuses me because of the <clears throat> insight. The minute I look and go, oh my God, I'm not in here. I'm the broadcast. Then I say to myself, why have a body and a spirit? Why not just be the spirit? And 50 trillion cells answer welled up. And, and then I had to recognize they, they're Jewish comedian cells. I say, why? Because <laughs> I said, I asked them a question. Why have a body and a spirit? Why not just be the spirit? And the 50 trillion cells answered with a question. I asked them, why have both? And the cells said to me, Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? <laughs> and all of a sudden, uh, that you know, that little funny thing, but it's like, that's the most profound thing in the entire world. Why? Right. Chocolate doesn't come from the spirit world. Chocolate right. comes from a translation of the energy by a biological system that translates taste into vibrations of the brain, which go back to source. And all of a sudden it says, oh my God, I have a spirit. And if I said to, you know, an unexperienced spirit, I say, and love is so beautiful. And the, and the spirit goes, love, that's nice. No experience of love. Why? First, you need a body. And then mm. love is a chemistry. Mm. And the chemistry is translated by the brain into the sensation. And the brain, and this is a very important part. We think that our thoughts are contained in our head. I say, where do we get that idea? I say, well, you put wires on a person's head called electroencephalograph, and I could read what's going on in your head. Now I say, guess what? There's a new device, a newer one, <clears throat> magnetoencephalograph. I go, EEG, electroencephalograph, MEG, magnetoencephalograph. I say, what's the difference? EEG, put the wires on my head and read the brain function inside. Magnetoencephalograph, the probe is out here. And I could read your brain function. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, my thoughts are not contained in my head. My thoughts are broadcast into the field, ripples. I'm sending mm -hmm. thought ripples into the field. And I go, what happens with ripples? They entangle with the other ripples. And all of a sudden my thoughts become creative because my thoughts alter the field. And all of a sudden I'm creator. Now, the question is, which we started with a year ago, was, <laughs> are my thoughts positive or my thoughts negative? Why? Because they have different consequences. <laughs> mm -hmm. that. So my thoughts are... Because the vibrations are different. Totally. Yeah. yeah. One is disharmony and the other is harmony. One is music and one is noise. That's mm -hmm. the different vibrations, okay? Noise is disruption of the system. And that's why, uh, the, you know, the stresses cause a disruption of the system. And then all of a sudden harmony is lost, but if harmony is health and harmony is lost, then you have no health. You have now disharmony, <laughs> which is disease. And disease, right, right. Wow, well, this was mind blowing. Um, <laughs> I am so grateful for your time, for your knowledge. I'm not kidding. You should really think about bringing this out into the world somewhere. Um, you've you've got some this? things to say. Are, we're doing this right now, aren't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, it, 
I don't even, I'm like speechless. Um, if people want to know where to find you, you're pretty easily findable, but you can Google Dr. Bruce Lipton. BruceLipton.com. Um, BruceLipton.com. Get his book, The Biology of the Belief. The Biology uh, of Belief. It's, and it's in all bookstores, I hope. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's probably one of the top books in science and spirituality, I would imagine. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. I'm incredibly grateful Amy, for your knowledge. I, uh, I am very grateful to you. Thank you for creating an audience of creatives, cultural seekers of a new way of life and giving me a little soapbox to stand on and, and talk to this wonderful audience because those that are watching us are truly seeking, I want a different way of life. And this information that we've been discussing today is the key or even the doorway to open up. There's a, that you have an option. You want to be on a honeymoon or you want to be in hell? That, that's how you participate. And, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, I'm, it's not an accident. And if it's not an accident, then the net result of what we've been talking about all day, Amy, is I can create better than what I've got. Mm-hmm. I go, yeah, you can create. Wow. Well, thank you again. And amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I, I hope our audience uh, enjoys what we have been talking about today. I am sure they will. I am sure they will. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.